Good morning. Welcome to the Purveyor of Truth, the Blue Water PCG, and to our Bible study. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. We've been talking about the church and where the church is headed, where the church has been, and what God's plan is for the church. Basically, the who's, what's, when, where's, and why's of the church, and what does it mean to us today? How does it apply to us? We're in Acts chapter 7. Does someone want to read today? Loudly and clearly? No? <laughs> so, chapter 7, verse 1. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? Now, remember last week we saw, we read about Stephen and um, him being full of faith and power, and he was one of the ones that was appointed. Um, some people say that this is a position of a deacon, um, but we know that he was appointed along with six other men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that they were put over the business of uh, making sure that the the ministration to or ministry to the uh, widows and the needy was taken care of. And so Peter stepped. I mean, Stephen stepped full on into that position didn't think less of it because it's not a lesser thing and he saw it as an opportunity for ministry which is exactly what it is so that's what's happening here and we're going into chapter 7 and um they remember they had um the pharisees and them had brought up false witness against um stephen and against the peoples okay so verse 7 then said the high priest are these things so and he said men brethren and fathers hearken the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charan, or Quran, Quran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into a land which I shall show thee. I could, I could preach a whole other message on that this morning, but that's not where we're going. <laughs> then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Quran, a Quran, however you say that word, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell, and he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession, and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spoke on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in the, a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil for four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him in the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. I just want to bring out, notice the bloodline that, that Stephen brought out here in verse 8. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we keep driving that home because it's very, very important that we recognize and we make sure that our young Christians that we're bringing up and that we're teaching that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's very important because that's through the bloodline that where we where Jesus, that's where our salvation lies, is through this covenant. Amen. Amen. Just want to throw that in there. It costs y'all nothing. Well, something extra. But we need to know it. It's fundamental to our, our faith, fundamental to our teachings and understanding of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, and the page, and that's why Stephen was telling them this. Verse 10, And he delivered him out of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house, that is Joseph. Now there came a dearth all, over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, the great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. So there was no food. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. 
And at the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known to Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, three score and fifteen souls. Seventy-five. Seventy-five souls there. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Sychem, and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Amor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, when God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which did not know Joseph. Then the same dealt subtly with our kindred, or craftily with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Y'all know the story, right? Okay. Yes, okay. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up his father's house three months. In his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom and teachings of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, when he was 40 years old, or well nigh to it, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, or brethren, the children of Israel. So his actual blood kin, I guess it came to his understanding his knowledge and so he went to see them and seeing one of them suffer wrong he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian for he supposed his brethren would have understood how the God by his hand would deliver them but they did not understand it and the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove as they as they were fighting and working hard and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do you wrong, do wrong to one another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made you a ruler over and judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as you didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty more years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame of a fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, look at that. Moses wasn't a, a baby when this happened. It wasn't a teenager. It wasn't a youth. Amen? Forty years old. Well, he was forty years old when he went and um, visited his his kindred peoples there in Egypt. And then verse 30, 40 more years transpired after he went into Midian, after he fled Egypt and was in Midian and got married and had children. And he was out taking care of his father-in-law's sheep 40 more years. Am I right? 40 plus 40. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and he drew near to behold it, this burning bush that was not consumed. And there was, a, it says right there in verse 30, an angel of the Lord was in, was in it. <laughs> and the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There it is again. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold then said to the Lord to him, Take off your shoes from your feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen I have seen the affliction of thy people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I am come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee ruler and judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. 
This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you for your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church. Now, I just remind, remind you, this is Stephen preaching back to the people who brought false witness to him against him. So he's bringing the truth. He's bringing the true witness before them. He's testifying. Amen? Okay, so verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount of Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Verse 39. To whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again to Egypt. Verse 40. Saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we know not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Verse 42. Then God turned and gave them up to the worship to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Verse 43, Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your god, Remphren, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacles of witness in the wilderness, and he made he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Verse 44, 45, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out from before the face of our fathers unto the days of David who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for God, for the God of Jacob. Verse 47. Y'all just bear with me. We're, we're getting somewhere with this. But Solomon built him a house. 48. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, saith the prophet. I think it bears taking just a moment to point out that God does not dwell in a temple made with hands. Amen? We're not allowed right now. We could be meeting on Sundays, but out of respect and honor and um, by standing by our word, <laughs> being a, a person to keep our word, that we are not meeting on Sundays because of the situation that's going on and because our Navajo Nation government has asked us not to meet. They're not forcing us not to meet. We could meet. But then again, we would be uh, enticing people to break the law, and we're not going to do that. Amen? Amen. Okay, so here he says, it's not, God does not dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in us, in the hearts of, of people. Born again, saved people. Amen? Okay, so just want to bring that out. That's not where we're going. There's a lot of stuff in this this chapter, there's a lot in what Stephen is preaching here. So many things we could draw out of it. We could probably spend a week of Sundays, <laughs> a month of Sundays, just on this chapter 7. But that's not what we're doing this morning. That's not where we're going. So bear with me. Dig back in. He said in verse 49, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Verse 50. Verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Verse 52. We, let me go back. I, I can't. We have to be listening to the Holy Ghost. In these last days, we must incline our ear and hear what the Holy Ghost is saying. We've got to have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with being born again. Yes, you do have 
to have a born again experience. Yes, you must be born again. Jesus said it. And he is your personal savior. It has been said by, uh, I don't even want to call them religious leaders, but and we are not to give attention to what false doctrine teaches. Amen? We are not to incline our ear to that. We must have a close, personal, interim, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And how has it become intimate? Through the Holy Ghost of God. Amen? Have anybody, had anybody ever seen one of those last days, end time movies? Yep. You ever notice in those end time movies, people are running around, want, like they don't know what to do? They don't know where to go next. They don't know what's going to happen next. Because the, the pilot's not in the plane anymore. The pilot's not in the plane anymore. <laughs> they don't know what to do. They don't have the guidance of Holy Ghost. Amen. But when the time comes and people start knocking on your door, and it's happening, it has happened already in America, it happens in China every day, it happens in other countries every day, that people are seeking out Christians to kill them, seeking out Christians to persecute them. Am I right? That we have to know when God says, go this way or that. If he says, go climb that mountain today, you better be ready to go climb that mountain. If he says, go dig an underground bunker, I don't know if he's going to tell you to do that, but you do it. Amen? If he tells you to get in your car and drive 200 miles to change some guitar strings, go do it. Amen? So that's I'm saying. We must have that relationship. We must know his voice and heed it always. More and more and more. It is a life or death situation. So if we begin to look at our relationship with Jesus like that, it is life or death. You have the power of life and death in your very tongue. The words that you speak must be led by the Spirit. We must be hearing what He says and speak what He says to speak. <clears throat> that didn't cost you anything either. It does tie into the message though. Our study this morning. Verse 52. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which show before before of the coming of the just one, that is Jesus, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. He's reminding them, you betrayed and murdered the Holy One of God. You murdered Jesus. Verse 53. Who have received the law by the dispos disposition of angels, and have not kept it. You same ones that crucified Jesus had received the law from the hands of angels, but you have not kept it. Instead, this ordained law that was given to you, you added to it, you took away from it, you made man-made man laws and, and put them on the people and made it nearly impossible. I'm just telling you what, what he's bringing out here. Verse 54. When they had heard these things, they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Anybody been gnashed on with somebody's teeth lately? I mean, I think maybe my brother might have bit me, or maybe I bit my brother when we were little. Don't bite your brother or sister. But can you imagine an angry mob crowd? Like we're seeing mob violence across the nation. Can you imagine them, instead of throwing rocks and stuff, them jumping on you and biting you with their teeth? Mm. Ugh. That's just nasty <laughs> and horrible. And People have dull, hard, blunt teeth. I can't imagine being bitten on and gnashed on with their teeth, it says. Especially if they have COVID. <laughs> right? <laughs> Verse 55. But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, didn't freak out and get all grossed out. <laughs> he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly with assurance into heaven. 
and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He looked up and he saw his blessed hope. He looked up and he saw his redemption. He looked up. He didn't look down. He didn't ball up his fist. He didn't pick up a stick a, or, I don't know, a club or something or rocks. He looked up and saw the God of glory, the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. In verse 56, and he said, Behold, you always wonder when you read 55, how do we know he saw that? Well, look at verse 56. And behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Woo! He kept on preaching. They were biting on him with their teeth, and he's still preaching the gospel. Amen? Amen. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and look what they did. Did they all fall to their knees and repent? Nope. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. The enemy's people can be moved about in one accord. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. You would think lots of times just because we go someplace and it seems like everybody's moving in one accord that it's the Holy Ghost. That does not mean it's the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. There are evil spirits at work and you've got to have discernment to know what's what. This was the church. This was... This was the scribes, the Pharisees. The, this was the church he was preaching to. He wasn't over in, I don't know, Cambodia. It wasn't someplace where people had never heard the, the name of God. He was preaching to the church, so to speak. Am I right? Can I get a witness? Yeah, the scribes, the Pharisees, the ones who wrote down the law. The ones who represented God to the people. Spiritual wickedness in high places, he said. Come on, phone, bear with me. I got 10%. All right. <laughs> it's taken a long time to see it through this chapter. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran on him with one accord. In verse 58, and they cast him out of the city. They picked him up and carried him to the out, outside the city. And then they picked up stones, and, they, and the witness laid down their clothes. The witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. This is the same Saul who later... Okay, sorry about that interruption. We got knocked offline for a minute, but we're back on. And we're going to pick back up in verse 58. And they picked him up and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the, witnesses, the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul, who later became known as Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now it's Stephen that's saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. All the way to his last dying breath, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Larry. For bringing us the charger. All right, so they picked him up, carried him to the outside of the city, stoned him to death. Saul is there. Saul is wholeheartedly supporting what's going on. Am I right? He even admits to it later on. And here, Saul witnessed him calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. All the Pharisees and all those who were stoning him witnessed him calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to receive his spirit. Praise God. And verse 60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, forgiveness. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And meaning he passed, he went on to be with the Lord. 
Glory to God. Glory to God. If Christ last for you, yeah. They know not what they do. Amen. We say we're Christians. The scripture says that you are you 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 go by the name of Christ, you ought to also walk like he walked, to do like he did. He loved the people until his last dying breath. He loved the Lord and what he was doing. He loved the ministry that was set before him was the joy that was set before him. Just as Jesus saw the cross and he took and he bore the, the pain, the anguish of the cross as the joy that was set before him. Here Stephen endured this, this stoning and sharing the gospel to his last breath as the joy that was set before him. So what does the church do? What's going on and what's our example in this, this chapter today? And uh, like I said, there's so much in here. But what, what, the, what our, our takeaway today is that he loved not his life as unto death. Or unto death. So turn with me to, I had, just had it marked and then I turned it. Revelation chapter 13 verse 11 I think it is. Yes. No. Yes. Oh, I said 13. I meant 12. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. I want you to think as we read this scripture, I want you to think about well, all that you just heard of Stephen and his testimony and what he did there just before he was stoned to death and as he was being stoned to death. Verse 11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That needs to be us. Amen? That needs to be you. There's a, a kind of a popular theme these days. Um, I, I, I noticed, you know, PCG, our, our website says, um, we are PCG. And I've noticed other places that says, uh, peop, other people say, we are, I don't know. Have y'all seen it? Have y'all noticed it? It's a trend. Can you think of one? I am America. I have heard that one. Huh? We are the church. Yeah, people say we are the church. What'd you say? Farmers. We are farmers. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and we don't even watch that much TV. We know that one. Um, I guess when you get your tires changed, you see the farmers commercial. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, so there's, you know, I saw another one and I can't recall. I'm not recalling it right now. But this is who we are. We are the church. We do represent Jesus Christ. We are, as the, they were first called in Antioch, Christians. Because we are the representatives of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ. And when people look at us, they should see Christ. When we are under pressure, do they see Christ? If you were being bitten by humans, would you be showing forth the love of Jesus Christ? I know, right? No, you don't have to answer that right now. <laughs> this is where we are, though. This is what we need to understand. If they were taking, if they were beating you with a cat of nine tails and lashes in your back and crushed a, a crown of thorns down on your head, we have these trees that grow out here. I don't know what they're called, but they have those thorns on them. And um, we had one in our front yard back in South Carolina. Was, the one we had was a citron tree, and it had thorns on it like this long. And the, the ones I've seen that they say the, the crown was made out of had long thorns on it like this. And they put it on our Lord's head and smashed it down on purpose. Mm. And he could have done. He's the, he was the son of God. He didn't have to endure it. He had all power and all authority. But he endured it. Can you imagine that kind of humility? To have that kind of strength, that kind of power? Mm -hmm. He was there when the heavens were created. 
and the earth was created and all the animals those big giant ox animals and everything mm -hmm. volcanoes all of it mm -hmm. and he's endured it he laid it all down and endured it for us Steph, Stephen, Stephen laid his life down and endured it for those people that they might be saved. I would dare say he did it all just, just so Saul could be saved. You know? If, if, he, if he had known, he didn't know, but if he had known that it, just one person would be saved by it. Amen? We hear people say that, oh, just for one more soul, or just even if one person is saved. But do we really see it in their life? Is it really the truth? Are you doing it for a pat on the back? Do people do these things so that they can be feel better about you? Know, people go to church even just so they can feel better about themselves. I remember being a sinner and going to church. I felt pretty good after church. I don't know why. I didn't understand it. But I felt like I'd done something good, you know. I went to church. Yeah, I went to church yesterday. No, I'll tell you what I did the next day or that afternoon. But I went to church. I felt pretty good about it. But I wasn't saved. I was going to hell. You hear what I'm saying? There's people out there that think they're doing God's will. Saul was sure he was doing God's will. He was sure of it. He stood there and watched Stephen be stoned to death, an innocent man be stoned to death. He watched many, many people be stoned to death. He says and he testifies later, uh, Paul does, that he even voted or put his, you know, he put in his, his vote to see other people be killed because he thought that they were going against God. And he repented of it. We must be like this, like it says right here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they, how do we overcome? Now, you know, we, you read a revelation and you think, okay, well, they're overcoming the, the big, this big dragon and whoa, you know, but then we don't have to be like that. Yes, you do. Because the enemy is out there. He's going to and fro like a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. Stephen overcame him by his testimony, even then. Amen. The anti the spirit of Antichrist has been in the earth since over two thousand years. You know, for, for thousands and thousands of years, the spirit of Antichrist is here. Amen. Don't think as we're waiting for the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is here. Amen. That's the scripture. I remember the first time I read it, I was like, "Whoa!" You know, I'm highlighting it, showing it to my little little brother in Christ. Look, it's right right here. And they overcame him. How do you overcome? It's not by standing up in church on Sunday morning or during a, a revival and giving your testimony. That scripture is used a lot of times to so say, oh, well, you'll overcome if you'll stand up and testify. You're testifying to a bunch of Christians. Stephen was testifying to the world, lost and undone and full of rage. And he overcame. How can you say he overcame? He was stoned to death. <laughs> well, his last dying testimony was, I see, I see the Lord. I see my Jesus. I see my Savior standing on the right hand of our God. You don't believe in him, but I'm looking at him. He's receiving me. I see him. He just stood up. Man. <laughs> wow. He overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony. And the last part of it is that they loved not their lives unto death. What does that mean? What does that mean? So many of us are so in love with our lives and so in love with what, what we have plans for tomorrow. We want to do it this way. We want to do it that way. Being a Christian means we lay all that down all of our preconceived ideas, all of our presupposed plans for a future, and we give it over to God and let Him show us the plan book. He's not rewriting your future. He already wrote it. Mm -hmm. Up until the point where you decide to surrender your future, you're the one. You're the one that's been rewriting the future, rewriting the plan. God's plan has always stood. God's plan is always solid and he doesn't move. 
Amen? His plan is perfect. But we've got to get a surrender our lives. We've got to be willing to love not our lives unto death. That means being willing to die and give up your entire everything for the gospel. Amen? Look at, um, I brought this little sheet of paper, and I, I didn't get to print off them for everybody, but I can email it to you or screenshot or text it to you. Um, but I wanted to just talk about the apostles that gave up their lives for Christ, for the gospel. Here, you know, the scripture says they love not their lives unto death. And when we look at, um, I'm, I'm not sure, anybody have a Fox's Book of Martyr, Martyrs? We used to have one, but I don't know what happened to it. Um, gave it away. <laughs> and I'm going to read these off to you. Some of this is, how do you say it, um, handed down information. Some of it, um, it's not necessarily in the Bible, but it's more of history and things that were written down. <coughs> right? Larry? Yeah. Right? So I'm not saying this is that um, I think because a lot of it happened later on and not all of it's documented in the Bible. Okay? So just yeah. take it with a grain of salt. The Bible says every word of God is true, but that's not God's word. That's people's word. Right. Right. So as historically his, as history would have it, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Okay. That Matthew was um murdered in Ethiopia and he was killed by a sword wound. Mark died in Alexandria in Egypt after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Are you okay with the kids sitting on this? <laughs> they loved not their lives as unto uh, unto death. They gave up their life. They didn't have to. They could have run, they could have hidden, they could have anything. But they knew when their time was nigh. We have the testimony of John. He knew when his time was close. We have the testimony of, of uh, Paul. He knew when his time was close. Amen. Jesus himself knew when, his when it was time. Luke, it says, was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death and John was sentenced to the, to the mines on the prison of the Isle of Patmos. He wrote his prophetic book of Revelation on Patmos. The Apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as what, we, what according to history, as the head of the church in Edessa in modern Turkey. He died as an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully. Which one John? Oh, the apostle of John, John the Revelator. And and Larry's reminding us that this is kind of this is uh, maybe the storybook version, <laughs> but um, so with some things we don't know. Um, Peter, it says, was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross, according to tradition. It was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die the same way that Jesus Christ had died. I actually read just the other day that um, someone, uh, one of the writings says that he um, joyfully went to the cross and, and thought it um, an honor to be crucified, but that he refused to be crucified um, upside right, so they put him on a, a cross that was shaped like this. Yeah, and Jesus told him he was led where he didn't. He would be led where he didn't want to go. What was that? Say it again. And and the word it actually says that he was he would be led to where he didn't want to go. And he's telling him how his life would end, you know, in the long run. So, oh Jesus. Yeah, that's in the word. Prophesied that, that to him. He did. Yeah. yeah. And it, it even says in the scripture, um, in the Bible, um, that he was speaking of the type of death that he would die. That yeah. Peter would die. Yeah. yeah. So we know that uh, it was something he didn't want, but he gladly took it. Right. He was a martyr for God. Right. I mean, Jesus, Jesus himself in the in the garden yeah. said, Yeah, he didn't want it. That's suffering. Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He did want what happened. Exactly. Same thing with him. <clears throat> so these, these men, these, these the ones that we're reading of, they. 
they had that kind of relationship that they wanted so much to be like Christ and to be that, um, to keep carrying on the gospel, to keep our job on earth is the same job really that Adam and Eve had before, before they took of the fruit, before they took matters into their own hand. And that was to spread the glory of God around the whole earth, to teach and raise up generations and teach them of, of God and his goodness. To, to be, to take the kingdom of heaven and bring it to earth and to teach people God's kingdom dynamics, if you will, to teach them of his goodness and his mercy and the way God does things. That's the way, we're, what we're supposed to be doing. James, it says, according to history, the leader of the church in Jerusalem was thrown over a hundred feet down the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ, when they discovered that he survived his fall, his enemies beat him to death with the Fuller's Club. It's uh, the big. It's a big, um, a big stick that they would stir the soap. I think when they, when you uh, make soap, you cook it in a big pot and you you um, stir it. That's what I think. This was the same pinnacle, it says, according to tradition. This was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the, his temptation. During the temptation, I don't know how they know that. <laughs> All right, um, James the Great, the son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry. As a long, as a strong leader of the church, James was ultimately beheaded at Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched amazed as James defended his faith at his trial. Huh? That's really true. Later, the officer walked behind, beside James to the place of his execution. Overcome with conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept beheading as a Christian. The, Ro the Roman, according to history, this Roman soldier was amazed when he heard James's testimony, he was amazed when he saw the things that James was heard the gospel, and he became a Christian right then and there and gave his life right beside James, to be, and he was beheaded as well. Is that, is that in the Bible also? No. Just kill the sword. This is the son of Zebedee. Um, yeah, we're talking about Alright, and then that was James the Great. Remember, a lot of this uh, oh, hold on, I'm not going to go into that, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Bartholomew, it is said that Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present-day Turkey. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. Wow. And then Andrew, it says, was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece, after being whipped severely by seven soldiers. They tied his body to a cross with cords to prolong his agony. His, fellow, his followers reported that when he was led toward the cross, Andrew saluted in the, it in these words. Oh, maybe that was Andrew I was reading about. I have long desired and expected this happy hour the cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Now remember, you know, um, when Jesus was crucified, they, didn't they also tie, their, tie them up to prolong their death? That's why they put that piece of wood under their feet, right? And so they would have to pull themselves up on the ropes to, to be able to breathe. And, um, but they, um, they actually went by and stabbed Jesus in the side, so in the water and poured out, so, um, to make sure that he was dead. But Jesus gave up the ghost. Yeah. Jesus gave up the ghost and he, he, in other words, he, he, he surrendered himself to God knowing there was a time frame. Yeah. He had work to do. <laughs> All right. Going back to, uh, this list here. 
Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent. Jude was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. What? Another one says he was flayed in India. Thomas? Actually, yeah, so it's two different disputes. Yeah. Well, stabbed, flayed. What? Flayed is uh, kind of horrible. You know, here it, uh, when it talks about Bartholomew, it says flay, F-L-A-Y-E-D instead of filleted. It's flayed. I just, mm. I, I just wondered about that when I read it. Anyway. That's probably where filleted comes from. Mm -hmm. And then Jude was killed with arrows, it says, when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned. When he was and then beheaded, he, so Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Paul was tortured and then beheaded by the evil emperor Nero at Rome. Paul endured the lengthy imprisonment which allowed him to write his many epistles to the church he had formed throughout the Roman Empire. These letters, which taught many of the foundational doctrines, blah 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 blah. So he was tortured and then beheaded by Nero. It says. It says flay means to peel off the skin. Yeah, so. Uh, well, with um, Bartholomew was flayed. The, the yeah. Mm -hmm. He was flayed uh, to death by a whip, so they just kept beating until all this, like, his skin was coming off and the, the um, torment that it is to the body and probably loss of blood. Pastor doesn't want to hear this, does he? <laughs> what? Do you want to yeah. I'd like to say something. Okay. I think that was it. That was we had thirteen of them. But my point of sharing this, and again, this is this is history and what people have written down and recorded. Talking about um these some of the ones that were martyred. And we know that many, many more people have been martyred. But my point is the church, the true church of Jesus, the true followers of Jesus Christ must love not their life unto death. That doesn't mean that all of us are going to be martyred. It doesn't mean that you're all going to be tortured. But it means that our heart condition must be in that place that we love not our heart to, unto death. I mean our life unto death. Amen. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we are to show forth God's goodness, His love, and His mercy all the way until the end. Yeah. Brother Larry? It's very important that uh, Luke wrote down about uh, Can you take your mask off so we can hear you? It's very important what Luke wrote down about uh, Stephen because uh, this was actually inspired of God. He was led of God to do the preaching he preached. So it ended the way God wanted to. This was something that his his needs be recorded in a way everybody could hear it. Yeah. I mean, these were historical mm -hmm. things that happened. I'm sure they they were martyred, but this was what God wanted to see how that when Jesus was on the cross, they put the crown down on his head. The mind of Christ is what. See, Paul was there when they when they 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 they, they uh, martyred Stephen. Paul was there. He saw it. He learned. That, that there's a certain way that God wants things done, and He wants us to be led by His Spirit. And He's right there watching it. Then later on, He goes on to write. He said, "Let this mind that be in Christ be also in you." Amen. He was there. He knew what He was talking about more than anybody else. Paul knew this, and it had to be recorded this way because that was the Holy Ghost. Amen. Holy Ghost, God. And that's the way we're supposed to be, love not our life unto death. There's a humility that's not thought up and not made up by you, but it comes from Christ, from above. When people get right with God, the Holy Ghost comes down on them, they, they humble, they're ready to give up their old life and change. And that's the kind of humility that comes from above. You can't work yourself up to it. You can't make it up. It comes from God. And that's what you have to have to be that kind of martyr. Amen. Real. You have Amen. to be real. Amen. Trust God. Amen. Yes. I just want to throw a little, a little, a little more on there, that a lot of people today are going around saying, "I'm an apostle. I'm, I want to be an apostle." 
I want I, I, I would like to encourage people to step back and look what the apostles what the requirements of an apostle are and what they went through to earn that title of being an apostle not everybody is called to be an apostle not every person not just because you might be flamboyant maybe that's not a good word charismatic just because people are drawn to you and they love you that doesn't mean that you're an apostle amen Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the apostles, if not all, were martyred. They were tortured. They went through really hard times. If you read the uh, Paul, he said we're pressed down but not destroyed. He said all these things that happened that you don't you don't see the apostles of today. They're living in big fancy houses and driving, you know, I want to say Cadillacs or Lexus or whatever. They're driving around in big fancy cars. You got their fancy shawl things around their shoulders and all this stuff are they suffering for Christ's sake I'm not saying every every apostle has to suffer for Christ's sake but you will endure suffering you will endure more than than the average lay member than the average church goer than the, even a pastor to be an apostle is a very very big deal so if you see people running around calling themselves apostle buyer beware that's all I'm saying. Amen? Amen. So we, we let's, let's read the scripture one more time. So we'll close out on this scripture. I want you to really think about this and meditate on it and pray about it. Overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony. Revelation 12. We're reading it. Revelation 12, <laughs> verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, it goes on to say. We must be striving to live our lives like this, to be this kind of a Christian. I, I, I want to. I have so much more I want to say, but we're, we're going to go ahead and close it out. Because this is where we need to focus in and pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to us today. That we must be like Jesus. We must be stepping up, raising the bar. We're not playing. What's that, that game that they call it? Whether you go to under the bar? We're not playing limbo. And think about the name limbo. <laughs> Never mind. So they keep lowering that bar and lowering it. We are not supposed to be lowering the bar. Amen. We're supposed to be sprinters, runners, running the race. And so the bar gets raised and we jump higher. Amen? We don't keep like getting down lower and lower and lower. We go up higher, up higher, up higher. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. I want to say to our listeners, we love you. God bless you. Stay steadfast. Seek the Lord while he may be found. I hope to see you soon. Don't forget, Friday night worship service, 6 o'clock. Amen.